All right, let's go ahead and begin with prayer. Father, thank you that we can come together this morning as a church, that we get to assemble together with your people and as your people to be able to worship you and to be able to learn and to grow into conformity to Christ. We pray that that would happen through this time this morning. We pray that you'd give us a good understanding of what it is that you expect us to do, uh, understanding your will, understanding what it means to make decisions in the way that your word lays out for us. And we pray that you would help us to grow in our faith and our wisdom through that. Father, we pray that you'd give us insight into your word, you'd help us to understand you rightly, and you'd help us to love and worship you with all our heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, I'd like to read one verse as we begin that uh, we looked at last week. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. This is a verse that speaks of the fact that there are two places wherein God's will may be found, uh, one of which is findable only to himself, the secret things, and then the other place is wherever God's uh, will or the things that he chooses to reveal are revealed. Now, implicit in this statement is the fact that they have been revealed in the place that they have been revealed, these things revealed, uh, where they are found is in this law, he says, that we may observe all the words of this law. God has spoken, as Hebrews 1 says, in many places, in many ways, uh, many forms, and uh, the way that he speaks, these things end up on the pages of Scripture if God intends for us to observe all of the words of this law. Uh, last time we looked at two elements of God's will. Can anyone tell me what these were? Give me one or the other or both. What were the two angles of God's will that we looked at, that we considered? Moral and sovereign. That's right. God's moral will and God's sovereign will. Um, you might also call this God's will of precept, God's moral will, the precepts that he lays out, the instructions, the principles, the things that he says we are to do or the things that are implied that we ought to do by virtue of him making certain statements about things. Uh, God's moral will, so some examples of that would be our sanctification, our uh, Giving thanks to God, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, for this is the will of God, uh, excuse me, in all things give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Uh, for us to be godly, for us to follow God's commandments, these are all components of God's moral will, his will of precept. And then on the other side is God's sovereign will, uh, his will of decree. And when we think about God decreeing things, what we, what we understand is that God has decreed all things and that God ensures that uh, particular things come to pass just as he wants them. I want to read you a passage that we didn't look at last week, um, Matthew chapter 10. And uh, Matthew chapter 10, 
Jesus is giving some encouragement to his disciples who are preaching on his behalf. He is telling them not to be afraid. And he's doing so by using this comforting doctrine of God's absolute sovereignty over all things. So he says in Matthew 10, verse 26, starting there, if you'd like to look. Matthew 10, 26. Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Don't fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You're more valuable than many sparrows. Verse 29, you notice that he says, two sparrows, extremely cheap animals, not very valuable because there are so many of them. And uh, it would be a rare person who would care very much about sparrows to the point of knowing every single one. And yet what he says is not only does God know them all, but nothing happens to them apart from God's involvement. Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. What he's talking about here is the fact that God is involved in everything that happens in his world, not just the things that happen in our lives, but even the things that happen in the lives of relatively meaningless animals. We can extrapolate from this pretty easily that there is nothing in God's world that happens that is outside of his control, such that God is absolutely sovereign over all things. So whether a sparrow falls or whether uh, on a human level something really good or really bad happens, God is sovereignly involved in this and he decrees everything and he is the one who is in charge at all times in all places. He is completely sovereign. So God has a will of precept, a will of command that he expects people to follow, but also God possesses a sovereign will, a will of decree. And everything that happens, happens because God is in charge. Now, obviously, there are various ways of working that out. We talked about some of that last week, uh, about how there are some things that are within God's sovereign will, but are against his moral will. God does not love, in every sense, everything that happens in the world. God is very displeased by certain things. He's very angry at certain things. Uh, he is grieved by certain things. Things are not the way that they ought to be. We think about him uh, flooding the world because of his anger at man's sin. Um, we think about God saying that he is angry with the wicked every day in the Psalms. God is not happy with a lot of what takes place. And he also is compassionate toward his children so that when bad things happen to them, even things that are not the product of someone's actual wrongdoing against them, there is a sense in which, a very real sense in which he is not pleased with that and he is compassionate toward them and he wants something good to happen toward them. So God has a lot of things that even though he uh, ensures that they come to pass, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's pleasing to him. And 
God in his wisdom has created a world in which there are things that go against what delights him in the short term and in the direct sense in order to allow what is ultimately most pleasing to him in terms of his perfect plan for the entire universe and the entire creation. So these two things work hand in hand and uh, they are when the scripture talks about the will of God, what God's will is, it's talking about one of these components or the other. Um, perhaps there are times when both are in view, but basically if we understand these two concepts, that God wills certain things in the moral sense of delighting in them, and then on the other hand, that God wills certain things in the sense of being in control and making sure that they happen, then we'll understand God's will in its fullness. Uh, so those are these two components, these two dimensions of God's will, and Deuteronomy 29, 29 speaks about both of them. Now, I mentioned last week that there is then uh, what many people view, whether they even think about it this way or not, but they think of, they uh, understand and believe and follow what would be referred to as a third dimension of God's will. Does anybody remember what that is, or is it just right there on your on your handout? What's that? The, yes, a personal will for our life, a personal will for our life, and. Not only do they think that God has a personal will besides these two things that are spoken of for their life, but that it's something that needs to be found and followed by us in some way beyond what we would otherwise find and follow if we were to do what God has laid out in the scripture and to follow those and apply them on a personal level. So this is what might be called a third will, God's individual will for our life. Um, again, I mentioned some of this last week, but how might this be articulated? What's kind of the way that we might speak about this if we're talking about something like that? Okay. Okay. Okay, so he said that God has a will that he would start this business. Okay, all right, and we're going to talk about um, maybe what might be behind that in a lot of ways like what what what's someone thinking when they say that where is that coming from what where's that language coming from biblically um what's kind of the are there some assumptions behind that um so we'll, we'll talk about some of that but yeah that's a good example okay god you know I, god has a will that i start this business or i think god wants me to start this business yeah okay good what, what other kind of language do we use on this kind of thing Okay, God has a specific person that he wants me to marry. Uh, has he told that other person, I wonder? You know, that's, uh, that's a little bit, of, throws a little bit of a wrench in things sometimes. Uh, or, on the other hand, uh, God has told me that he doesn't want me to marry you. And now, who actually understands what God wants correctly? Um, 
we often sadly throw God under the bus for our bad decisions or the decisions that we don't want to make. So if we can tell someone that God told me not to be in this relationship with you anymore, how convenient that we don't have to make the hard decision and take the fall for that. Not everyone is uh, doing that for those reasons. Um, Some may very, very sincerely believe that God does not want them to be in that relationship or that he does want them to be in that relationship. And there are a lot of reasons why that might be the case. But yes, God wants me to do this. God wants me to marry this particular person. It's God's will that I start this business. Um, uh, that, that would be some of the things uh, they would say, I want to find God's will for my life. I don't want to be outside of God's will for my life. I want to be right in the middle of God's will. Now, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with those statements in and of themselves uh, because Scripture tells us in places like Romans 12 too, that we are supposed to test and discern what the will of God is. We're supposed to know what God's will is. The question is, where do we find that? And what is he talking about there? Is he talking about an individual extra-biblical plan that can be somehow found or discovered if we will uh, be sensitive enough in a particular way to God showing us what that is? Or is he talking about something else? Um, Let me give you a list of things. A few years ago, I was at a conference. Uh, There's a man there speaking by the name of Stuart Scott. Some of you know him. He's written some excellent things on... um, counseling and discipleship but uh, he gave a list of things that people use to try to find what to do in their decisions or as it relates to finding God's will and I'm just going to list some of these out Um, and uh, this is adapted from that list this is not the entirety of the list but many of these things uh, and maybe some of these are familiar in in connection with trying to find God's individual will for your life. Um, first of all, simply ideas, inner feelings, uh, desires, and impressions. Um, being led by the Spirit. Uh, an audible voice. Um, praying and um, expecting some kind of word or voice back. Um, having inner peace about something. Um, Using devices like casting lots or drawing straws, uh, signs from God, dreams, um, waiting on the Lord, quote, waiting on the Lord, uh, fasting, having a, some kind of a call, or looking for prophecy, looking for God to speak. These are just some of the ways. And uh, again, not casting judgment on any one of these in particular at this point. In fact, some of these may be, uh, at times, biblically, in biblical history, um, things that happen. There may be things such as, um, let's just say, casting lots, drawing straws, or um, rolling dice, or flipping a coin, which may, in moments of otherwise uh, relative unimportance and choosing between two options, be something that you employ. Um, There may be a place for some things like that. But these are the kinds of things that often are connected with trying to find God's will beyond what has been written on the pages of Scripture itself. Um, 
So again, I want to talk about some of these and we'll kind of look into some of these specifically in terms of evaluating them and where they come from biblically, uh, where the terms come from, where the ideas come from, and, and what the particular passages say about what is going on there. Is it what these things are sometimes said to mean or the way that they're used or is maybe there's something else going on? So we'll evaluate a lot of those one by one as we go through the class, uh, not today, but moving forward. But for now, I just want to think about um, why is it that someone would be looking for God's will for their individual life beyond uh, understanding that God is sovereign and beyond looking on the pages of Scripture and trying to do and obey everything that's there? Why would, why would we want that? Why would we be looking for that? And I'm not trying to say, uh, say that in any way where I'm saying, well, it's all bad reasons or completely wrong reasons. I just want you to think, why, why do we seek after that? Yeah, no, that's great. And you gave several reasons right there. I want to, and I want to, I probably will cycle back even through several of those. So that's, that's really good. Yeah. What else? Why would people want to look for this, to find this? Yeah, Heather. Yes. Yeah, so we, we want to please God. And we think that there are things that God wants us to do. However we got there, we think there are things that God wants us to do that we may not find on the pages of Scripture. So we look for that. You know, you, you want to be pleasing to him. So that's kind of how that goes from that perspective. Yeah, good. We want to be pleasing to him. Yeah, why else? Why might we look for God's individual will for us? Yes. Okay. Okay, so you think that we lack faith in doing this. Now, I think I'm going to take that and uh, say that that is getting, uh, basically you're uh, stealing from, stealing my thunder a little bit because I would like to argue that in many ways this can come from uh, a lack of faith in God. And why I think that's important is because often it's portrayed as the opposite. Often it is said to be lacking faith to think that God does not tell us an individual will for our lives outside of Scripture. Or to say that he doesn't speak in particular ways to us today. That is conveyed as lacking faith. You don't think that God can do this or you don't think that God does this and you just the reason why this doesn't come to you is because you lack faith. When I would argue that actually... Uh, first of all, people 
who would say that we're not looking for that very much believe that God has spoken in Scripture and believe in the Bible and therefore are exercising a load of faith in what God has said. But also that um, there is a huge degree of faith that it takes to make decisions on the basis of what God has revealed, to not know what that's going to mean for our lives, to not know the outcome, to not be told anything about what's happening in the future on the basis of this decision other than what's in Scripture, and yet still to walk forward anyway and to try to please God in the midst of making that decision. If we have God telling us the whole way, here's what's going to happen around this corner. Here's what's going to happen on that corner. Here's what's going to happen when you get over here. Here's what's going to happen on this next step. I would argue that that would give us a lot less reason to have to actually exercise faith that God will work in our good interest because we're only going as far as he has already kind of assured us that something is going to go right. So a lot of times when we're looking for these kinds of very clear directions, what we're looking for is for God kind of the the implicit logic goes like this. If God tells me to go and do this thing, then there's going to be some kind of outcome that's better than if he didn't. And generally speaking, the way that that often turns out is that we're going to have an outcome that is more favorable in the immediate sense as well. For example, if I marry this particular person and God has told me to do so, or God has shown me that he wants me to marry this person, then surely the chances are much better at a minimum, and maybe even it's guaranteed that we will have a good marriage and a blessed marriage as opposed to if we did something different. Uh, um, if If we go to a particular college, then surely that will turn out to bless us in our lives in ways that otherwise it would not. So we want to know what that is because we think that if God kind of shows us something, then the outcome is going to be more favorable And I would say that we need instead to be willing to do exactly what God has revealed in his word without having to be told or even have it hinted for us ahead of time that the outcome will be more favorable in a temporal sense than the other decisions that we would make. So yes, I I do agree and I think we can talk about this more as we go along. But uh, I just want to, I'm glad you mentioned that because I want to address that up front that this is the this is conveyed often as a lack of faith and you can feel like if you're not chasing this down that somehow you lack faith and the accusation can come against you that you are not walking in faith when actually that doesn't necessarily mean that at all and it could be the opposite so please make sure that you are not um, feeling inferior in how much you're actually walking by faith simply because you believe in the sufficiency of scripture for finding God's will for your life Uh, Questions about that after my uh, rabbit trail soapbox? Okay. The big thing is uh, be encouraged if you are trusting in the sufficiency and the fullness of God's word. Um, Other reasons why. Just give me some other things. Why, Why do we look for God's will beyond the pages of scripture for him to reveal to us or show us in some way direct us in some way that can sort of be known to us or that we would we would make a different decision based upon certain things that we can detect a little bit why would we look for that 
It's true, yeah. We, so we, we are confused about our own motives and we have, we're, we're waffling or have impure motives and so we're looking for something else to validate what we've already decided to do or what we want to do. Yeah, so the sign is the affirmation of this, right? Yeah, I, I think I've, I've mentioned this before. I had a friend in college that went, um, he decided with his girlfriend that they went to Walmart to look for rings, wedding rings, uh, engagement rings. And they decided that if the ring was still there that they found that, she liked after some period of time then that was God's sign for them to to get married uh and they went back a few days later and it was there and so they they got engaged and um actually as it turns out a few weeks or months later they called off the engagement uh not because they thought God will God's will was something different with regard to the ring but they just decided they didn't want to get married so I'm not sure what that means about the certainty of God's will um, really sad because you think that, you know, this is God directing us to do this. But I think it was a case like that. It's what it certainly seemed like where it's like we, we really, we want to get married. And here's kind of the justification to go ahead and do that. I don't think you have to have that. Uh, biblically, you, you make that decision. If there is nothing in the way, then you make that decision. But in many cases like that, a lot of times it is when there is... Uh, questionable reasoning or questionable degrees of wisdom involved in such a decision and instead of being able to demonstrate to ourselves or maybe in particular to other people who would question that decision what we do is we get God's stamp of approval upon it and now no one can argue with it this is why we hear language like the Lord led me to do this God told me to do this and this gets thrown down as the trump card. And there are a lot of really bad decisions that people have made over the course of time that go against many principles of wisdom in the scriptures, maybe even directly against biblical commands, and simply say that God wanted them to do this. Everything from leaving a spouse to go and marry someone else to making a really foolish financial decision, um, to just doing some big project that they think is, you know, this is what I just, this, this is a good thing. The Lord wanted me to do this. And it's all just pinned on God. And maybe not even so much pinned on God, but it's all just given this sort of, uh, this validation by saying, God wanted me to do this. God led me to do this. This was God's will for me. And people misuse the will of God to justify their own selfish and foolish and even sinful decisions. So, yes, Robert, I, th I think if this is what you're talking about, uh, that, that is exactly what we very often can do when we say that God told us to do something or God wants us to do something. So this is another reason why we might seek that out, why we might look for or talk about something like that. Now, again, I do want to just kind of keep in view what Tracy mentioned at the very beginning. These, are, these kinds of things are not always somebody just trying to do something evil or somebody who is trying to avoid God's will. In many, many cases, there is a sincere desire that someone has to know and to do what God wants them to do. So I just want to keep that in view the whole time. Sometimes we misuse these things intentionally or out of bad motives. Other times, uh, there may be the most sincerest of difference of understanding as far as how to go about this and the sincerest motives of wanting to please God. And simply what it would come down to is what I would argue, just a, a different and uh, mistaken understanding of the way the scripture describes finding God's will, not anything to do really with um, trying to avoid what God wants us to do. 
Um, other things, let's think about this more. Why are, what are some other ways or reasons, excuse me, why someone might want this? And again, I think this is helpful for just understanding why we're doing this and, and why this is so prevalent. Yeah, Shannon. Yeah, Shannon. Yeah, absolutely. It could be, it definitely could be easier. If God tells you to do something directly, that's just so much easier. So yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about where should my, where should my kid go to college? Man, look there, right as I'm thinking about that, there's a billboard right here on the side of the road. And you know, actually, come to think of it, somebody had told me about that three days ago. They mentioned that their cousin went to that college. And uh, then you go home and in the mail and there's like three things and one of them is from that college, it's in the mail, you know, and all of a sudden, oh, look, God must be wanting me to go here, as opposed to considering all the factors, which would be what, I mean, you guys who have been to college or, you know, thinking about kids going to college, uh, you consider where it is, uh, where is the church that's solid nearby, uh, can you afford it, is this actually going to produce a return on the value of your investment that you're giving, you know, those kinds of wisdom decisions that are going to affect the way that you live your Christian life, the way that you live your life in every respect, so instead of thinking about that and having to make a hard decision that's not right or wrong, black or white, you just kind of shortcut right to that. So yeah, it definitely can be easier to do it that way. Um, and you know, if we tend toward indecisiveness, uh, if we tend toward maybe wanting to other people to make decisions for us, we might be particularly uh, careful on this front to recognize the temptation that can come to this that we don't want to take ownership of that decision because of the difficulty of it. Uh, we also might not want to be seen along these lines to have made a bad decision. We don't like being embarrassed by making a decision that's foolish. Uh, we don't want to have to you know, go through the, the hardship of uh, after the fact, having been said to make a mistake, you know what that's like, right? And you don't want to make, you know, if you, you don't want to do something and step out and have an opinion on something or make a decision about something, because what if it's a bad one? What if it doesn't turn out the way that we want? And now everybody knows and you're embarrassed. Well, a lot of us want to avoid that because we're afraid of man's opinion. Um, we're afraid of maybe the consequences that would come if we do make such a decision and the confidence that other people might have in us or trusting us. So it's really easy to just punt. And uh, this is where God telling us something, telling us what to do, makes life a lot easier on that front. Okay, why else? What do we seek? Why do we seek God's will through extra biblical devices and sources of information and so on? Yeah, right.
Yeah, that is a great example. So the, the fact that Christianity involves a personal relationship with God. This is a huge factor, and this is what I would say is largely on the side of um, good reasons why people want something like this, like well-motivated reasons in, in the overall sense. Um, just as a passage that gives an example of that, I mean, um, 1 Corinthians 8 says if anyone verse 3 if anyone loves God he is known by him this is there's a personal knowledge to this of God knowing us and we want God to be very involved in our lives don't we like very involved now when we're in sin we don't want God to be as involved in our lives in that moment but if we're Christians then we want to know God and not just uh, have sort of an abstract sense of knowing about God, although we know that knowing about someone is foundational and critical to knowing them in a personal way. But we want to know God personally. And this seems like the way to do that. And it seems like that if you take this kind of thing away, God directly you know, speaking in your ear or giving you impressions or somehow pulling you in a way that you can feel in your emotions or uh, even physically in some way. If you take that out of the picture, well, does God really care about my life anymore? Does God actually care how I live as a Christian? Is he involved or is he just distant? That's the way that it feels to us. Uh, So we want God to be involved in these ways, Because we want God to care, and we think that God doesn't care about us unless he's doing these kinds of things. Now, what's the error of this? Well, first of all, we know that God has already uh, established that he is involved in every single thing that happens in the entire universe. Romans 8.28 says that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So God is using every single thing in the universe. This implies that he's involved in our lives. The same thing in Matthew chapter 10 that I just read to you. Two sparrows are sold for a cent, and yet not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father. God is involved even with them. So as a matter of principle, regardless of how he communicates to us, However he has chosen to do that, God is involved in our lives and he does care about us and he does care about every single detail. We just sometimes want it to happen on particular terms and in particular ways. We think God doesn't care about us if he doesn't do something. And it's a little bit like sometimes we have in our own relationships with other people, whether they're friend relationships, romantic relationships, or otherwise, that we think that they don't care about us if they are not acting toward us in the exact way that we prefer to be interacted with. And it may simply be that they are somewhat different than us. Now, in the case of uh, people, we can change in order to act differently in that way. God it doesn't change. God is going to act toward us and relate toward us in the way that he has already established. Um, whereas in a human relationship, if there are preferences or other things like that, well, maybe a person can morph and can change and can do things that, um, that are a little bit more amenable toward the preferred uh, method of communication and relationship and involvement. But nonetheless, God has established the way that he is going to relate to us And he has done so from a baseline of already showing that he cares and that he's involved in every detail of our lives. Um, We sing the song all the time, don't we? 
what more can he say than to you he hath said, to you who for Jesus to refuge uh, have fled? I mean, this is, God has said all these things in his word. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. This is the kind of thing that is uh, taught throughout scripture. The hymn is not, uh, is not the authority. But it does summarize for us the way that we think about scripture. God, what else could he say to us? What else could he do? Um, just to give you an example of this, those of you who are parents, um, when they are very, very small, um, your children... Um, how many of their decisions do you make for them, relatively speaking? Well, I mean, you let them make some decisions, perhaps because you can't control every single thing that they do, but there are a lot of decisions that they would prefer to make that you make for them instead. What are we going to eat for dinner tonight? We're going to eat exactly what I made. And how much of that are you going to eat? Well, you're going to eat exactly how much I tell you to eat. Uh, Where are you going to go within this house? You're going to go only to the limit of where I have set for you to go. Um, How are we going to spend our time during this day? It's all just very, very prescribed and laid out. And even if you give latitude within that to some degree, there's a whole lot of just making those decisions for them. Well, as they grow... Um, that changes and should change to where they are um, growing and maturing. They're able to make decisions in wisdom as they grow more and more. And if you don't let them do that, and if you make all the decisions for them the same when they're 16 as when they're 16 months, then you're, you're not doing a very good job of enabling them to become mature adults who can actually care for themselves when they're, when they're on their own. Um, So you go then to a parent of a 16-year-old, and they have let their child make some decision or another about how they spend a whole bunch of their money that they have, or um, where they're going to go tonight, uh, where they're going to choose to eat if they go out with their friends or something like that. And you go to that parent, and you say, did you tell them where they're going to eat and how they should spend their money? Did you you give them any kind of, you know, specific direction about what they should do tonight? And you say, no, I mean... They've been in my house for 16 years. Like, they know what to do. They, they, I mean, they might not know everything to do, but I trust them to go out and to do this stuff. I'm letting them drive, for goodness sake. Surely they can make a decision about where to eat and how to spend their money. And you go to that parent and you say, well, you must not care very much about them because you aren't there right along with them the whole time telling them what to do. So maybe you should pick up the phone and you should text them and you should tell them, hey, you need to eat here and you need to drive this far and you need to only spend this much money on gas and then you need to take your car to this gas station and you need, you see where I'm going with this? If you were involved on that level, it certainly could be because you cared for them, but if you just let them go and do those things on the basis of what you have taught them over the course of the 16 years of their life to date, no one in their right mind will say that you don't care about your child. No one, because you do, but you've taught them the principles and you're allowing them to exercise these things and you're watching. And the other thing is you actually do care how they act in these circumstances. You, your heart is bound up with them. You don't just say, well, go do whatever you want. I don't care anymore. It doesn't matter to me. Of course you care. And when they come home, you're going to ask them, hey, what went on? How was it? How was your night? Did you have a good time? How was the food? Did you enjoy it? Is the car okay? You know, you're going to care about all the stuff that goes on in their life. Why? Because they're your kid. But it doesn't mean you have to be with them at every given moment telling them what to do or directing them. So this idea that if God is not 
with us all the time in the sense of new information being conveyed to steer our decisions or to require certain things of us that go beyond the sufficiency of his word. The idea that God doesn't care about us in those circumstances just doesn't add up. An earthly father we know cares about his children, even if he's not constantly communicating with him over the course of this several hour period. How much more God who is actually involved, not only from giving us the precepts in his word, but also along the way, steering and navigating all of the circumstances sovereignly to make sure that his perfect will of decree is actually working out in our lives. And that's the other component is that God doesn't just sit back as an interested party and watch us do what we're doing uh, with a care and a concern and a hope so that things will go the way that he wants. God actually is also working behind the scenes to sovereignly bring about exactly the circumstances that he's going to use for a Christian to make them conform to Jesus Christ. So you can, without having to say anything beyond scripture, you can say that God very, very, very dearly cares and is extremely involved in the lives of every one of his children at every given moment of their lives. And there's nothing that's required to go beyond scripture in order for that to be the case. So um, when we want God to care, we just need to understand the way in which God expresses that care for us. So then, um, this is another reason why people go to this place, but I just want to argue that you don't have to in order to have this type of relationship with God. Uh, any other reasons or questions about this or any other reasons why uh, we might seek after ex something extra biblical? Yes, Michaela.
Yeah, and so on the, the first thing, I think that, that is a, it's a great caution in both directions to avoid, like again, you say you see the billboard and it might be that you have, um, you so strongly reject the idea that God is communicating to you something about what you ought to do that you just completely dismiss anything unusual or whatever as even an opportunity to respond in a biblical way. So yes, like um, if you see, yeah, you see the college billboard. Okay, well, huh, okay, I hadn't thought about that before. Um, the issue becomes, the problem becomes in this case, when we take that and we throw out biblical reason or when we see that uh, that sign or that providential thing as binding upon us morally in order that like we have to do this. God wants me to do this and God is requiring me to do this. And if I don't, then I'm going to be doing something wrong. Now, we're going to talk um, in future sessions about God, the conscience and wisdom and the difference between those two. Um, black and white things, the difference between what is black and white, and then the difference between doing what is best within the gray areas, within what is actually permitted. Um, but this is one of the mistakes that we often make, is kind of having a blurry understanding of what is right and wrong in those terminologies. We often say things like, I want to make the right decision for maybe for my kids. I want to make the right decision. Uh, I, wanna, I don't want to do something wrong. And what we often mean by that when we dig down into it is we want to make the best decision and we want to do what is optimal. But we feel like if we don't actually do that, then we've done something wrong, morally wrong. Like our conscience is plagued by that. And we need to reinform our conscience about that. But it overlaps with this idea of decision making and, and of uh, getting the will, like some extra revelation of the will of God for us. Because we think that if God is communicating something to us in this way, then he must want us to do it in a binding sense. And if we miss that, then we've missed out on something. So this is one of the big problems with this kind of idea is once it becomes something that is binding and not just a providential opportunity to rethink something, as you're saying, then we now are putting this upon our conscience and we're saying we, we need to do this. We must do this. And it has the power to trump other biblical passages. It definitely has the, uh, the ability to override wisdom and making a wiser decision uh, and thinking through those matters because, hey, we're already in a right or wrong situation. So there is no judgment call here to make about what's best. It's just this is the right thing to do and I have to do it. Uh, so this is where we get into those kinds of problems with that, that when we believe these things become morally binding. But um, yes, I, I think all of us can think of things where something maybe unexpected came up. I mean, I, even as you're, you're saying this, Michael, I can think of a, one particular instance um, where someone in our family uh, has, uh, one of our kids, there was an opportunity that came up almost out of nowhere, and it was just, you know, the, there was this thing going on, and I found out about it, and then it started the next day, and so we inquired about it, and it just happened to be starting the next day, and it turned out to be something that's been, been a very good thing that's gone on for a number of years. And, uh, you know, in God's providence, I I learned about that but if I had seen that as a binding moral sign we have to do this then I think that could have caused problems um, 
we still probably would have done it anyway, but uh, binding, it, it's not the kind of thing where it needs to be taken as required and binding just because it seems out of the blue or um, it seems very unusual. Um, let me just think through, let me look, make sure that there are, there are some others. Um, let's see. I mean, just in general, uh, Tracy mentioned this, but this is the reason why we seek God's will in this way is because this is just the way that we've always heard. This is what God, this is how God directs us. We hear people talking this way. Uh, we've practiced this and we look for God's will and this is just how we look for it. So it is really the idea of coming by it very honestly. Uh, we learn it from our parents. We learn it from our church and it's just the way that we do it. And it's just, this is the language, isn't it? In, in the last, I don't know, uh, 50 years probably of Christian uh, history in America, of evangelical Christianity is largely just this idea that God speaks to us in this way. Of course, this is popularized by certain authors um, and writers, in particular the, uh, the book Experiencing God uh, by Henry Blackaby, which would encourage you to listen to, listen out for the voice of God, um, not to look in scripture for that, but to listen out for it. Uh, so there's certainly some influence on that front as well. Um, but these are some of the reasons why we might do this. One more thing that I'll mention is that often um, we look for God to speak to us because we don't know that the Bible actually has already spoken on this subject. And it, it is really amazing that um, sometimes there are things that we just say that God wants me to do this when it's like there's just a very clear thing in the Bible that speaks directly against that. The more we have a knowledge of the scripture, um, the more that we're going to not fall prey to those kinds of things. Um, sadly, Proverbs chapter 2 tells us to search for wisdom as for hidden treasure. And it tells us that if we do so, then we will find a certain place. Um, Proverbs 2, verses 4 and 5, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. When we go to the scriptures, we will find this. This is where we search for it. But oftentimes, sadly, we end up spending our lives searching for God's hidden will that is outside the pages of scripture, and we will not find it that way. Um, so these are some of the things that, the reasons why we might do this. Um, and I, again, I just wanted to go over those things because I think it's helpful to understand how we get here. For one, just to understand that as I talk about these things, um, in some cases this does impugn our motives when we're looking for God to communicate to us and direct us in these ways. Um, in other cases it does not. If the shoe fits, then wear it and be convicted and repent. Um, if you have, uh, if you maybe think in these ways and you, um, but it's for some of the uh, more innocent reasons or more sincere reasons mentioned, then just understand that as well for what it is. And uh, just know that the goal here is, is uh, simply to line up with the scriptures. It's not to assume wrong motives on the part of anyone in particular. Um, so just understand that. And then also just to know kind of how the things that we might lack in our own spiritual life that cause us to look for these things. We, we want God to be active in our lives. We want God to be working. And when we are not following the scriptures by faith very carefully, when we're not trusting God in the ways that we ought to, when we don't know the Bible very well, when we are not practicing spiritual disciplines and participating in the life of the church and serving and, all, and so on, it can be very easy for us to start to feel like something is missing and this can be 
the answer to that, we think. And so we go after that instead of doing what might be in the short term a little bit more difficult and a little bit more work. Um, Okay, so again, you have here at the bottom this decision-making paradigm that is called the way of wisdom. It comes from the book Decision-Making in the Will of God by Gary Friesen. Again, I would recommend that book uh, very strongly. A lot of what we're going through in this class will be... um, uh, will be sort of inspired by what's in that book at a minimum just because it's so comprehensive. Um, it's very helpful. I would encourage you if you uh, have the time to go in to read that if you want to learn more than what we're learning in this class. But these four principles here uh, that are helpful to just think about and we'll, we'll cover these again in more detail as we go. But where God commands, we must obey. Where God commands, we must obey. We have to do what God says. Where there is no command in the Bible, uh, where there is no command, God gives us freedom and responsibility to choose. Sometimes we don't want to make decisions and we want God to tell us because we don't want to have to make it. We don't want to own the responsibility to choose that decision. Uh, Where there is no command, God gives us wisdom to choose. So this is another way in which God is involved in the decision-making process, James chapter 1, for example. But how that wisdom comes and the degree to which it is explicitly communicated uh, varies depending upon what we understand and uh, where we're looking. So just as a preview of that as well, some cases wisdom is found in the scriptures that we are to take this word and to apply it in certain ways. At other times we pray for wisdom and God will not uh, just drop down the words, but he can give us wisdom that we um, will not find in a way that we could write down as authoritative on a page, but nonetheless he does provide it. And we need to believe that with all of our hearts. James 1, 5 uh, through 8 tells us we shouldn't doubt that. Then number four, when we have chosen what is moral and wise, we must trust the sovereign God to work all the details together for good. And so even if the outcome is not what we want, if once we have done what God has required and then we have made the best decision we can under that umbrella, then we need to trust God for the outcome of that. And uh, that's part of the hard part isn't it trusting God for the outcome not because God is untrustworthy but because we might want things to be another way in the short term so uh, anyway this is that's a summary uh, again of much of where we'll be going I hope this has been a helpful time Uh, if you have other questions about this or uh, just want to discuss it further I'm glad to do that but we need to wrap up for this morning so let me pray for us and we'll be done God thank you for this time Uh, we thank you that you care for us deeply we thank you that you have revealed for us uh what you want for us to do in your word and we pray that we would be very careful to apply that very careful to trust you very careful to draw near to you and to be aware of your involvement in our lives at all times and i just pray that you would help us to find exactly the right footing for understanding your will as we go through uh, further things from your word about what you want us to know and how you want us to know it we pray that you would help us all to have a a spirit of humility before your word on this and that you would also help us to grow together and help each other in doing what you want us to do we pray these things in jesus name amen